Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord for The Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. Hello, friends, and welcome to Walk with God. My name is Brenda McCord. And today, we will begin a new series entitled Authentic Connections. I'd like you to pause with me for a moment and think of the people you connect with on a regular basis. Maybe some of them are every day or throughout the week. Others, maybe you see them on Sunday at church. Do you have those names in your mind? Well, as you think about that list of names, very quickly we realize that relationships play an important part in each of our lives. I'm sure you've heard that familiar saying, life happens. Well, yes, it does. And over the past few weeks, we personally know people who have experienced a wide range of life stuff. We have some dear friends who just lost an elderly father. We have another couple we've been friends for several decades with them who are preparing for a new ministry opportunity in Malaysia. Another man who has a young family, he's been unemployed for over six months. And then just last night, a couple called us to tell us that their new granddaughter arrived yesterday. In each of these examples, we've shared tears, joy, delight, and sorrow. And we quickly have recognized that God created us to be in relationship with people, spend time with each other, get to know those people in our lives. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to dig into a book in the Old Testament the book of Ruth, filled with authentic connections, lots of relationship. And it's my joy for this series of Walk with God to invite and participate with my husband, Walt. Walt taught for 14 years at Moody Theological Seminary. He served as a pastor and he loves history, geography, the Bible. And so, Walt, would you set, as it were, the stage for us as we open the Book of Ruth together? Well, thanks, Brenda. I'd love to do that. And it's great to be here with you. You know, the Book of Ruth is, um, is an amazing book. It's only four chapters long, and yet it has history, geography, theology, all wrapped up in a love story. And I love teaching the Book of Ruth. I've done that many years in a course called Old Testament Literature and Themes. And in that course, we look at how we study and interpret various Old Testament literatures, like poetry, as we examine the Book of Psalms, or like wisdom literature, as we look into the Proverbs. But what we always begin with was narrative, because the largest part of both the Old Testament and the New Testament is narrative. A narrative tells a story, a true story, with plot and with real emotions. We get heroes and villains. We get love and hate. We see victory 
and we see defeat and all of these stir in us great emotions you know it's interesting even as you start with the narrative the first phrase in the hebrew gives us a historical marker but it sets a tone and the phrase is this that came about in the days when the judges governed and so the question is what what was the time of the judges governing what was that about the book of judges stands in stark contrast to joshua in Joshua, a largely obedient people conquer the land through trust in the power of God. But Judges is different. There it's a disobedient and idolatrous people. And they are defeated time and time again because of the rebellion against the Lord. And in seven distinct cycles of sin to salvation, Judges show how Israel had set aside God's law in its place and the book of Judges ends even with this sad phrase. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Kind of the book of Judges, if it had a musical theme, was Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way. And so in the midst of that, the Judges is a, a dreary time when people are doing right in their own eyes and only concerned about themselves. You can't have authentic relationships. And so it's interesting as you share that with us, you know, so often when I have opened the book of Ruth in the past, I run, I run over that phrase quickly, right? And, and that I yeah. think a lot of us do that as we read God's word. But let me read Ruth chapter one, verse one. And if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to join me. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. So Walt, you, you shared with us that we've got this historical background, right? We've got, it's in the days of Judges and we see that the people are doing what's right in their own eyes coming from that last verse in the book of Judges. And then we move forward into the second sentence of this particular verse. And now we know geography, right? Where they were. They're in Bethlehem. They're from Bethlehem, this family of four. And there's a severe famine in the land. And then they're going to move to Moab. And all of us, as good students of the Bible, say, where's Bethlehem and where's Moab? And, you know, we've been privileged uh, and just had the amazing opportunity to visit Bethlehem many times. And as we've stood in Bethlehem, we look north to Jerusalem, and then we turn and look east toward the Dead Sea and over beyond to Moab. And as we stand there and we often paint the picture, even as we've stood in Jordan in the land of Moab and pointed people's view toward Bethlehem, and we think, what would it be like for this family, a husband, a wife, two younger boys, to make that journey. And I know that you love geography. I know you love history. So would you give us an idea of what this journey would have looked like from Ruth 1-1? Yeah, 
by the way, even that knowledge of my love of geography and history, I think that officially makes me a nerd, but I don't care. I just love it. And yes, the story begins in Bethlehem. It then moves to Moab and then returns to Bethlehem. And so that's important to know about. Bethlehem is about 2,600 feet above sea level. It's right on the edge of the rain shadow between the, the moisture coming up out of the Mediterranean Sea and in the desert of the Judean wilderness in the Dead Sea. And this journey, um, although it's not super long, it's very rigorous. It's very difficult because first you have to go down through the Tuhua Ridge Route and you have to go to the Dead Sea, the lowest place on the face of the earth, now almost 1,400 feet below sea level. And then you have to rise back up into Moab. And as we go up into Moab, there are places that were over 3,000 to 3,500 feet above sea level. But what I find interesting in all of that is typically rainfall increases as you're closer to the Mediterranean Sea, as you travel north in Israel, and as you travel up in elevation. And in this case, that would tell us that rainfall is sufficient in Bethlehem. That literally, the, the name means house of bread. It's the bread basket of Israel. Um, it's named Ephrata that's used of it. It means fruitful. Why in the midst of this fruitful place would these people leave and go into Moab? And, and again, it's geography. They went up in elevation and there would have been more rain, but they also left the place of God's provision and the people of God. And so we see that there was famine in Breadtown. And that in itself is ironic and would point to a time of little rain in Bethlehem, the, the grain not growing, and they've made this journey. And let's continue in the text of Ruth 1 into verse 2. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. You know, that's just one verse, verse two, uh, with names that are hard to pronounce, but we made it through. And as we look at those names, and again, we see Bethlehem, house of bread, they've reached Moab, and they're going to settle there. These people have left God's country, God's land that he promised to care and provide for them. But let's look at more closely, Walt, at, at the names of these people, because they do have significant meaning that we need to consider. Yeah, and here's where I would teach an interesting Yiddish phrase, oy vey, oh no, what are you doing leaving Bethlehem? And especially because of the name of the husband, Elimelech, Really, El is short for Elohim, a name of God, and Melech means king. His name means literally, God is my king. And yet he's turning his back on the king, he's turning his back on the kingdom, and he's traveling to a place that looks good in his own eyes. His wife, her name is Naomi. Naomi means pleasant or lovely. And then we have these two boys, and their names are both really interesting. We have Mahlon. And his name means puny or sick. And then we have Chilion, which his name means pining or crybaby. 
just think about that as a parent, naming your kids sicko and crybaby. I mean, why would a parent do that? Well, it was because they were born in a famine. Probably Naomi didn't have as much milk as she needed to have to give and feed and nurture these boys. And so they were crying. They were sickly. They were sad. Um, and part of that is is to remind us in this story that, that there's emotion here. And the emotion at this point is, oh no, oy vey. And as we summarize verses 1 and 2, we know the timing on the timeline during the time of the judges, every man is doing what's right in his own eyes. We have a man living in Bethlehem. There's a famine in the land. And this man takes his wife, who is named, every member of this family is named. And that doesn't always happen in scripture. This is unusual that we know everyone's name in the family. He takes his wife and two sons. They depart from Bethlehem because of a famine and they go to Moab. And in verse three, it starts, then Elimelech died. Remember, they've come to Moab and they settled there, the end of verse two. And we see now tragedy. Elimelech dies. Naomi has lost her husband and she's left with two sons. Well, as time's going by, these sons have become adults and they chose to marry two Moabite women. One woman's name was Orpah. The other is named Ruth. But then 10 years pass and both sons die. And that last sentence that we see in verse five, this left Naomi alone. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Again, we have two new names introduced to us and they have significant meaning in those names. And Walt, what is it like in this culture for a wife to be a widow and to have lost her two sons? Well, even as you think about that, it, there's not a police force, there's not a judiciary, um, that largely this is tribal um, existence. And in the tribe, the tribe took care of you, the, the group took care of you. And yet in this instance, Naomi is now without her two sons and her husband. Uh, she has no one to protect and provide for her. And, and yes, she can work. But when, in a time period when everyone is doing right in their own eyes, this is a dangerous time for Naomi and, and Ruth. I find it interesting when we talk about authentic connections and how we authentically connect with people, that the two names of these two Moabite women are really interesting. The one is Orpah. And what it means, Orpah, is a long neck, or it would be someone who is lovely. And this name focuses on the externals. You could see that from a distance. That's Orpah. She's pretty. She's got a great neck. Um, but Ruth is different. It doesn't focus, the name doesn't focus on externals, but instead it focuses on internal. Her name means friendship or friend. And focusing on this internal character, this is a woman who can be trusted. This is a woman who will be loyal because she's a good friend. And when you think of 
daughters-in-law, you know, we're, we have three adult sons and we've been blessed with daughters-in-law and grandchildren. Uh, but for us, um, that, that idea of losing, um, and for me, so even just bringing it to me, the idea of losing you as my husband, of losing all of our adult sons and being very alone, which is what the end of verse five, Naomi is alone. And as we come to the end of our passage for this teaching session, we always want to say, what does God's word have for us? It's not just enough to read it and point things out, but it. what we want to do is take the information that we have in our head, that knowledge, and we want to apply it to our heart. And so how can we best do that? What questions do we need? Do we want to encourage you to ask this week? Yeah, so I would ask uh, that anyone who's listening with us, that they would ask uh, these three questions. The first is, is where should you be in times of sorrow? Again, where should you be in times of sorrow? And, and the biblical answer is um, close to the Lord and close to his people. Um, unfortunately, for many of us, in times of sorrow, we tend to isolate. But God wants us in community with authentic relationships. A second question. Uh, character is revealed in faithfulness to God. And I would ask all of us, how are we doing in our faithfulness to God um, I would hope that if you're listening to this podcast, you want to grow and learn his word better. And that's faithfulness to God. And that you want to consider others instead of doing that which is right in your own eyes. That's faithfulness to God. And then third and finally, how do you answer your unanswerable questions? Why did all this tragedy happen to Naomi? Was it her fault? Was it her husband's fault? Was it the, the boy's fault? And we just don't know. The text doesn't tell us. You know, when I was 13 years old, my dad died after a horrible battle with cancer. And he left our family with a huge void. But in that void, we did have some help, some financial help, some security. Um, specifically, we had Social Security that began to give us some income. And dad had a little life insurance policy. But Naomi doesn't have that. She doesn't have Social Security. She doesn't have life insurance. She doesn't have her husband or her sons to care for her. She now feels left all alone. And in the midst of that, we're reminded of after reading just these first five verses. Uh, Brenda, there was a song that this reminded you of. Yeah, I think of Michael W. Smith's song that I hear all the time right now on the radio, Waymaker. And there's a phrase in there that is so true, but so hard to wrap my arms around. Even when I don't see it, you are working. Even when I don't see it, Lord, you are working. And that's where we leave you today. We know that Naomi was left alone without her two sons and her husband, but even though she could not see it, God was at work. So will you join us next week as we continue to work our way through the book of Ruth and we will learn more about the value of authentic connections. Walt and I invite you to continue 
your walk with God. Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord for The Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.